0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today in our podcast, racing for a second wave abroad and at home, former FDA commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
2: We are seeing a pretty sharp uptick here in the United States. Now, whether or not that's a post Labor Day bounce or it's the beginning of an uptrend heading into the fall, it's unclear right now.
0: Deal or no deal, media mogul Expedia and IAC chairman Barry Diller on the TikTok, Oracle, ByteDance government situation.
3: It's no deal. So I don't know that it means much of anything at the moment. The whole thing is a crock.
0: And lucky for Joe, another spiked seltzer for him to try. Coca-Cola aims to release its first hard seltzer in the first half of 2021.
4: They're light. They're light, and I like all
0: the flavors. It's Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now.
5: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we're going to start with the markets this morning after yesterday's big sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow was down by almost 1,000 points at one point during the session. But it closed the day down by just 510 points. That's the good news. That's a decline of about 1.8%. The S&P also fell by more than 1%, but it made a recovery as well. And then if you were watching the NASDAQ, that was a a bit of a miracle comeback. It closed down by just a tenth of a percent after a late-day rally. Guys, this has been pretty interesting watching uh, the course of what's happened over the last month. We are talking about a down month potentially for the markets as we get uh, deeper into this month. We have looked at four sessions in a row that we've been down for both the S&P and the NASDAQ. That's the longest losing streak we've seen since all the way back to March. But, again, if you're looking at some of these numbers, you're just talking about the lowest levels for the Dow since August and the lowest levels for the S&P and the Nasdaq since late July.
4: We, um, we had so month after again, month, putting though. putting these things
5: in context.
4: Month after month. Yeah. I think we had April, May, June, July, August all up, weren't they, or, or, or close to it? Yeah. Yesterday. Stocks I, only I, go up. They only go up. Not in September. September is an important month, but always kind of a, a typically weak month. But in an election year with an incumbent, it it can take on added uh... significance. Yesterday, uh, the Nasdaq. I looked at it. It almost came back 300 points. Not quite. I, I, when I finally looked, yeah. almost 250. But the Nasdaq can move, man. I mean, that that can move. That can be, you know, we can see it down four or five hundred points, and then it's down, you know, 15 points, and uh, like. Would I bet that the Nasdaq closed higher today? I have no idea. It's up now. And that's a pretty good move, no 70 points yeah. compared to the others. But that could, you know, you could look at it mid-morning and it could be totally different. And then the rest, of it, it seems like it, it's not the tail at this point. It seems like it's kind of the, no. the dog, you know. Um, anyway. Right. Yeah, it's, well, uh,
5: especially because those big tech stocks make up such a huge percentage of the overall S&P. You know, they'd be looking at market as of, uh, of any of these things. And the leadership, these are huge, too. Huge, yeah. huge moves. Yeah. And the leadership it, for all of these things. Apple made a pretty impressive comeback rally yesterday, too.
4: Crazy risk off yesterday, though. Once again, gold, why, that's supposed to go up. Bitcoin, it's supposed to go up when things like that happen. And it, it's weird. It, it, it just seems like that's where you start work, thinking about it's just money. You know what I mean? It's just... It's just 0% interest rates.
5: I was digging into the Dow yesterday because the Dow was so weak at one point. I started looking through Dow components to see which ones were the weakest at any given point. Dow, the Dow component, Dow, was under significant pressure. It was down by more than 6%, but then you saw declines of more than 5% for for stocks like Caterpillar. You know, it was the industrial names that were really getting punished, uh, Chevron. And and, and that could be traced back to this idea of if there is a second lockdown that that comes, that maybe that's something that people start worrying about. Those were the ones that are expected to be recovery stocks as the economy continues to improve. And, And those were the ones that really faced a lot of pressure yesterday, at least among the Dow stocks. Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy tells CNBC that the company plans to release its first hard seltzer in the United States in the first half of next year. This is the first update on the product since it was first announced back in July. Here's what Quincy told Kramer last night on Mad Money.
4: We're going to follow the consumer. Uh, you know, in the old days, people were much more regimented about the categories they stayed in. And there wasn't so much blurring uh, by consumers of mixing and matching Uh, And and I think these innovations that that we've seen, including hard seltzer, are a trend to the consumer looking for new things.
5: Coca-Cola plans to release the hard seltzer under the Topo Chico brand that it acquired back in 2017. It will be the first time that Coke has had a presence in the U.S. alcoholic beverage market since it sold its wine business back in the early 1980s. And guys, I have yet to try any of these hard seltzers, but uh, oh, taking people, taking these by them. storms. I know you're into them, Joe.
4: Love them. Yeah. Love them. I, I really do. I have enough it, spices. It, they're light. They're light. And uh, I like all the flavors, I decided. I, I've been mostly white claw. Hey, Andrew, you can get a little uh, variety 12-pack. You can get a, it comes with the raspberry, what about- lime. Huh? Do you guys I mean, remember just, Zima? Do you remember so Zima? Different. That's a beer. Yeah. That's a that's a filling bleh, beer. This, look, here's Zima? my transition. Zima like was clear. Bartles Bartles was white, it doesn't matter. It was heavy, and it, it filled you up, and it, it tasted like a big Carby beer. This is no so Carby. Did, this is, this, this, I haven't tried huh?
5: any of these. Does it taste like Bartles and James?
4: No. God, no, I wouldn't be caught dead with a <laughs> wine cooler, <laughs> Becky. What's it no. taste like? Here's what it tastes like. <laughs> it, you, okay, you, you go from drinking soda and then you say, wow, this, this artificial sweetener might kill me quicker than sugar. So you say, I'm not going to do that, okay? So then you start drinking the, the Poland Springs lime or the raspberry lime yeah, yeah. or the lemon. Right. And then that you get really used to that, and it's great. Just add a little bit of alcohol. So it's like a gateway li- it's, like a, it's like a Poland Springs seltzer, uh, lime seltzer, with just a little uh, alcohol in it. It's perfect. You can have a couple hint. of refreshing. So the Spring
5: was your gateway, gateway drug for this.
4: Yes, that was my gateway drug. And, and actually, that's true about Andrew, because we asked, remember, we asked him his one vice, and he goes, well, I don't want to really admit to it on national TV, but I, I do drink sparkling water. That was your vice, Sorkin. That was, remember? But then he's actually been drinking I'm corona. addicted. Too he, so much been sparkling water corona. is
5: bad for your teeth.
4: Is it? My teeth are too it far is. gone. Yeah, you should it drink it, it with a straw. Yeah. Drink it with right a now. straw if you care well, about a, your teeth. A, a paper straw, too. And you're, well, you're not if you care say. about the
5: environment. <laughs> okay. Your teeth are the Try environment. The white a metal cloth. straw, or,
1: then, I guess.
4: This is, uh, A reusable, this reusable is, straw. This yeah. was a big uh, culture shift. Because, uh, you know, the beer, beer is just, it's just too heavy. You know, it, you know, those first six go down so smooth. You know what I mean? And... Why are you laughing?
0: Coming up on SquawkPod, the UK is working to ward off a second wave and America is heading into flu season.
2: I think that there is a real risk that we're gonna see rising cases towards the end of this year. Now that said, I do not believe that we're gonna reach back to a, certainly a national stay at home order.
0: Dr. Scott Gottlieb, when we get back.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
5: Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson just moments ago announcing new restrictions to try to tamp down a resurgent coronavirus in the UK. He says office workers who can work from home should do so. Pubs have to close at 10 p.m. because you can't get COVID before 10 p.m. Also, businesses breaking the rules will face fines. Johnson said that these restrictions could last for six months barring any progress top British government scientist warned yesterday that if the number of cases continues to double every seven days, as is currently the case, there could be 50,000 infections a day by mid-October. Joining us right now to talk more about all of this is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is a former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of both Illumina and Pfizer. And Dr. Gottlieb, thank you for being here today. Thanks a lot. Let's jump right in. Um, This concern about what's happening in the UK and potentially more broadly in Europe That was a huge reason for the market sell-off here yesterday. I think people started wondering if this means we're going to go go back to lockdowns, not only in Europe, but if we would see a second wave that approaches here and additional lockdowns that come here. Um, What do you think, just based on what you see? Are we in the same position as Europe, or have we been taking things more slowly and more cautiously?
2: I'm not sure that we've been approaching this much differently than Europe at this point. We are seeing a pretty sharp uptick here in the United States. Now, whether or not that's a post Labor Day bounce and it's going to start to level off or it's the beginning of an uptrend heading into the fall, it's unclear right now. I think we're going to need a couple more weeks of data to know whether or not this is a discernible trend uh, of rising cases heading into the fall and the winter. But there is a real risk that as we head into the fall and the winter that this was going to come back. I think all of us We're concerned about that. We really haven't had to contend with this virus in the season in which it likes to spread, which is the fall and the winter. This is a respiratory pathogen that would typically spread in the winter. We've we've had to deal with it in the spring and the summer so far. So I think that there is a real risk that we're going to see rising cases heading into towards the end of this year. Now, that said, I do not believe that we're going to reach back to certainly a national stay at home order or even sort of pervasive lockdowns or stay at home orders. I think the mitigation this time around is going to be a lot more targeted. You might see certain cities taking stringent steps when they have dense epidemics, but I think it's going to be much more targeted in part because we have much better testing. So we're going to know where the spread is. So we're going to be able to target our interventions much more effectively. And in part because we have much more confidence around our ability to treat this. I think the capacity of the hospital system is enormous relative to what we were in in March and April and May. Um, Hospitals have stockpiled equipment. Doctors feel much more confident taking care of patients with covid And we've substantially cut in-hospital stays and in-hospital mortality, so we'll be able to turn over patients more effectively inside hospitals if we do have a lot of illness.
5: Hey, Scott, in the U.K., they're talking about their their cases doubling every seven days. They've been looking at hospitalization, hospital admissions doubling every eight days. And then there were serious concerns about their ability to keep up with the testing. At the beginning, it sounded like you said you didn't think we've dealt with this much differently than they have. But at the end of your comments, it sounded like we're not going to be in that same position. Can you kind of straighten that out? Where, Where are we in terms of would we wind up in a situation like what the U.K. is describing right now?
2: Yeah, when I say we haven't dealt with it much differently, I think in terms of just general compliance to the social distancing, mask wearing, things like that. If anything, our compliance as a whole across the nation has probably been less than what you've seen in Europe. Um, But you've seen compliance spotty here in the United States There's certain parts of the country where you're seeing pretty good adherence. To some of the some of the social distancing and the mitigation tactics mask wearing certainly here in the northeast other parts of the country is seeing very low compliance and so that's what i was referring to when i was saying in terms of how we've been dealing with it i mean at a consumer level um europe's done a good job they have a good health care system i think when you look at what's going on in the uk you need to think of the uk really as london and london is having a very dense epidemic right now we're going to have situations here probably heading into the fall and the winter if you believe this comes back we're going to have situations where certain select cities have pretty dense epidemics we've already seen that over the summer houston had a very dense epidemic miami did phoenix did I think the combination of things that governors did in those states eventually, and they were slow to act, there's no question about that, but eventually they took targeted mitigation steps, combined with more adherence of of the population at things like mask wearing and social distancing, combined with getting better testing into those parts of the country, combined with trying to alleviate burden on hospitals by suspending elective surgeries for a period of time, that combination of activities was enough to try to get these things, these epidemics under control. And I think those are the kinds of things we're likely to reach for heading into the fall and the winter on, frankly, a rotating basis. Hopefully this isn't a confluent epidemic across the whole country, but there probably are going to be um, sporadic hotspots and maybe not so sporadic hotspots across the nation as you see flare ups in different parts of the country.
5: What, what the heck happened with the CDC guidance yesterday? Uh, the idea that they put on their website that aerosol sprays are, are probably largely responsible for some of these issues, but then took it back, took that guidance back later. I mean, all I can think is that there's complications because they realize that by putting those scientifically backed facts on the website, it means that businesses and schools and others are going to have to take much more extreme measures in terms of ventilation, in terms of social distancing am I missing something?
2: Well, look, I, I think that that's right. If, if, in fact, there's a conclusion that this spreads through aerosolization, that changes the implications for a lot of businesses. It's really hard to believe that this was an accidental posting of draft uh, guidance that they had to subsequently pull down 48 hours later that they didn't realize they had put it up over the course of the weekend. Um, the reality is, in terms of how this spreads, I think there was nothing surprising in what the CDC put up. Most people assume that this is droplet transmission, but under ideal circumstances, you do get aerosol spread. If you have the right person in the right room with the right air conditioning system, you're going to get a spread pattern that more closely approximates aerosol transmission as opposed to as opposed to droplet transmission. It's not a
1: binary um, choice. Scott, um, I know that you were obviously a former member of the administration, uh, but can you just speak to the credibility of the CDC at this point and the politicization of the CDC and how concerned you are about that?
2: Well, look, I, I know some of the professional staff at CDC and I, I suspect they have to feel bad about what's going on with the organization at this point. They take a lot of pride in the or, in that organization and how that that agency is perceived around the entire world for the expert guidance that it gives. This is deeply concerning. I mean, seeing these kinds of activities where guidance gets drafted somewhere else and posted on the CDC website and that that those kinds of things are very concerning because you need to you need to be able to accept that the. Um, Material being put out by an organization, by an agency, represents the view of that agency. And if the administration wants to put out an alternative view on some of these things, they're free to do that. But they should put it out under their signature and not put it out under the imprint of the CDC. If it doesn't represent the work of CDC, it shouldn't have the CDC's logo on it. So that way we can know what the experts of CDC think and we can know what other people who are drafting some of this material think. So I think that that's the most corrosive event of the last several weeks seeing information get put up on the cdc website that doesn't necessarily represent the work of the cdc scientists or doesn't represent the consensus of that agency
5: it's hey, it's more troubling than that because i know that businesses and schools are following the guidance that's on the cdc website and when they say we are following the guidelines they're not doing anything beyond what's required on the on on that CDC website. And they say, look, this is our liability issue. We have to follow what they tell us to do. How safe are those schools and businesses right now?
2: Well, look, that's that's why I think it's corrosive, because you don't know whether or not um, what you're following represents uh, the expert opinion of the CDC scientists or re- whether it represents a policy point of view. Um, and so that's why it's important that the information that's made available be represented by the people who are d- developing, um, developing those facts. Look, I think by and large, the material on the CDC website represents the work of the staff scientists at CDC. I think we know what the touch points are where there has been some um, political consideration given to what's getting posted, and you know, quite frankly, some political involvement. It's around the testing, and it's around things where we've seen some pushback from the business community.
5: Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. It's good to see you.
2: Thanks a lot.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, billionaire Barry Diller on Big Tech, TikTok, and the 2020 presidential election.
3: In the early days of a Biden administration, I think there's going to be definitely a downdraft just on expectations. As far as business is concerned, I don't think long term there's going to be any particular difference.
6: We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Take a look at your apps and recent browser history. Seriously, take a look. Do you see Investopedia or The Daily Beast, Vimeo, anything owned by Match Group? Chances are yes, which means you already know this next interviewee, Barry Diller. He's the chairman of Interactive Corp, or IAC, the online conglomerate behind all of those brands. You might know Diller from some of his other accomplishments. In his 55-year career, he's headed Paramount Pictures in Hollywood, he's built Rupert Murdoch's Fox Broadcasting into the behemoth we know today, and he helped bring the world Saturday Night Fever, Grease, the Bad News Bears, and The Simpsons. He's also married, fun fact, to fashion designer Dion von Furstenberg. Diller joined our TV broadcast back in April, when this whole pandemic was getting started, and he called the situation for businesses cataclysmic.
3: You drive down streets and you see big cities, small cities, and you see nothing is open, and they're ghost towns. The damage that is being done every day is enormous. Everybody needs to be bailed out. One-time thing, and we'll worry about paying the bills later.
0: Now, five busy but stationary months later, we're talking to Barry Diller again, and this time we have much more to discuss. The travel industry, for one. Diller is the chairman of Expedia, whose brands include Hotels.com and Trivago. You'll also hear his thoughts on Airbnb's upcoming IPO, the imminent election, and of course, the TikTok soap opera. Barry Diller is a media mogul, and he's also a famed orchestrator of deals, mergers and corporate flips. He actually started running Expedia 20 years ago after he brokered a deal with Microsoft to spin off its travel business. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin kicking off an extended conversation with IAC chairman Barry Diller.
1: There is so much to talk to you. About Barry, uh, including uh, what's going on with travel and and what we're hearing out of the UK, which is affecting markets. But uh, you are also uh, are, you know, we call you a media mogul. And so I want your take on all the big media tech headlines at the moment. And we're all trying to grapple and understand what this TikTok uh, deal or non-deal really means. What do you think it means?
3: Well, I, I, it's no deal, so I don't know that it means much of anything at the moment. I, I, the whole thing is a crock. I mean, it starts, obviously, simply to say we want to protect the security of uh, uh, of Americans from uh, anything that could happen to them by using TikTok. It is now morphed into this kind of ludicrous uh kind of match, game match between tossing ownership here, control there, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's it, it's, it's original aims uh, are uh, out the window and in has just come a whole political mismatch. I have no idea how it settles. I also think it's relatively mm-hmm. meaningless. I think the whole thing has been stirred up for no great good reason. Are there
1: larger implications that concern you, though, about what it means for American businesses doing business, not just in China, but abroad, what we're seeing? Yeah,
3: I don't know. I think, uh, look, I think once you start tossing this grenade about protectionism and once you start saying, turning these things into into political questions vis-a-vis China, I'm not saying that China treats fairly. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have policies, quote, against or, or in terms of competition and all of that, and not stealing property and all of those things. However, once you say, we won't do this because of you, the reciprocal out of that is going to be just as bad. And that, once you start it, it's inevitable that that race just keeps going up and up and up and prevents just natural commerce. Uh, I want to get
1: your thoughts on a couple other media transactions, and then I want to dig into some of the things that you're doing at IAC uh, but the parent company of this network, as you know, yesterday, Nelson Peltz taking a, a stake in the company, uh, agitating, or we will see what he's going to agitate for. But curious your reaction to that.
3: I mean, Mr. Peltz has been pelting around for a whole, I don't know, decades, sometimes to good results, sometimes to no results in this case. Uh, I think Comcast is uh, superbly managed and superbly hedged. Uh, I don't I don't know. I I don't know what I haven't read or heard what his activism is about. Uh, But usually it's just exploitative.
1: I I think that if there's any concern, it's that the the pure plays, the charters have gotten re-rated or rated at a much higher multiple as a result of being a pure play and whether the market is going to give Comcast that same kind of benefit. And I think that's what he's after.
3: Yes, but, you know, multiples and and, uh, uh, drilling down in different areas simply to improve the stock price so he can make X dollars or Y dollars in in getting in and getting out and all of that. Look, activism is good when there's a real reason for it. But if the reason is simply to rejigger things to make it look better so that the multiples will be better, Uh, That is not any kind of activism that I think produces anything, you know, any kind of even uh, decent results. So in this case, I don't know. I don't know how you uh, if you're a media company and you've really got both sides of it. uh, You've got the distribution side and the production side. And then you have all of these land based resorts, et cetera. You know, you're hedged various different ways. And. Since the Internet is going to continue to get used more and more and bandwidth is continued to continue to grow and it's going to cost X and Y, there's no way you can get in trouble. But I can see.
1: Let's talk a little bit about IAC and Expedia and how you're thinking about the world going back to normal or not. Obviously, there are these big concerns now in the U.K. about further lockdowns that sent the market uh, into uh, into the red just yesterday. What's your timeline now as you think about Travel and and people going back to not just the office, but people getting back on planes. I know you made a big investment in NGM in part, I believe, on, on the online ga- gaming side, but also on the idea that Vegas would ultimately and Macau would ultimately come back.
3: Yes, I think they will. I mean, I, I, I was in Las Vegas last week for three days for my kind of uh, deep dive tutorial on their business. And uh, while it isn't what it was, uh, there are people Uh, in the hotels, almost all the hotels are open. Uh, There is life there. It is not of course what it was, but inevitably it will be. Just give me a, you know, give me an end date. And that's actually all I kind of every day cry for and have to unfortunately put a bit off in the distance. I had originally thought, okay, great. We'll be back to work by September. That has not happened. Now it's maybe Christmas. Realistically, it's probably next year at some point. I keep putting that, you know, little goalpost down the road. However, uh, Las Vegas, you know, the amazing thing that I saw when I was there is who would have created this thing? I mean, it is the infrastructure, the amount of – I mean – Conference space. Uh, MGM has 460 restaurants. They have hundreds of venues for entertainment, from 20,000 to 16,000 to smaller venues. They, the 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 very idea of Las Vegas built over the last I don't know hundred years or so or 75 years. That uh that place where where there is so much pound for pound entertainment and by the way at all levels from the very highest level to middle to transient to leisure it is a place that you that again i don't think you're going to build it again anywhere in the world uh certainly not in Saudi Arabia uh right. and they're talking of this you know kind of new neon city or whatever it's called but uh, Las Vegas is, without question, when it's safe, will come back uh, without probably bigger, just in the early period, just because of people's, the explosion of people wanting to get back to life. I think the same is true of travel, of course, And but you can't get travel back until you get planes and, and, and regulations, uh, air regulations, territorial uh, into a place where people can, without worry, right. go where they want to go. The thing is, flying in a plane is safer than about any place other than probably being on a beach with the wind blowing uh, against you. Uh, the 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 air is refreshed every three or four minutes. It's utterly safe to right. be in a plane. So,
1: Baron, should, things- should 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 taxpayers should taxpayers be be continuing to support the airlines?
3: Well, yeah, because if you if you actually lose the inf- – look, the thing about Las Vegas, that infrastructure is going to stand. There's You can't take that away. I mean, you can take the people away. People will come back. The place will still be going. Uh, the lights will be on. The problem with planes is air, – airlines is if you actually – because there is just no business to sustain it, if the, you can't – to rebuild these things is going to be – really difficult.
5: Hey, Barry, just listening to what you're saying about airlines being very safe places because they recirculate the air. I mean, there have been some documented cases. I was just reading another one a couple of days ago about cases where people picked it up on the plane, not not even just in coach, but also in first class, where you think you have a little more space. These were early on in the pandemic, so I don't think people were wearing masks in the same way that they are on airlines now. In general, when you're talking about this, when you say you keep moving out the date, it's because oh, you watch the sorry. headlines going around. Do you have experts that you're talking to? When you're you trying to figure out, out you're you p- preparing for how this works. Out. Where do you get it?
3: Until there is a vaccine, nothing. You can't You can't be certain about anything. It's, it, to me, been. Uh, I think it's absolutely true that work from home does not work. I mean, it can work in little bits and pieces, but it does not work. How do you get people? Right now, some of our offices are open. And... We've said to all people in our companies, come, it's safe here, We're all the protocols, all that. We won't demand you come uh, if you don't feel safe. And guess what? No one comes. That's the experience of, I think, almost everybody in in any of the early openings of offices. So you're, this is day by day. I mean, I said that, for instance, with Expedia, on November 15th, to me, is the last day you could say to people, okay, plan to come back to work in January. Because people have to make their plans and do all of that stuff. I was really hopeful that that when you got get to that date, that you could say, okay, come back January 1st. I don't believe that's probably true now. Because again, Mm -hmm. the um, the daily thing you read, you don't have to go far to learn that Everybody is telling you it's still not safe. So until you can get that demarcation line again, I think it's probably realistically, if you could ever use that word in this craziness, it's probably June of next year before you can say. And by the way, employers are going to have to say you are coming back to work now, unless you have some reason, absolute reason that you can't, but you're coming back to work. Until you say that, nothing is going to start again. And by the way, in New yeah, York City, sorry, let me ask. safest place there is probably right now, can't go to school. I, 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 the idea, you, the precursor to all of this is getting schools open. And we're, the United States has done about the worst job of anybody in that regard.
1: Barry, let me just ask you about the implications of this this timeline, which is obviously a a longer timeline than I I know you had anticipated earlier and a lot of people had anticipated earlier. But what are the implications as an investor um, and as a businessman who's thinking about what the world looks like if, in fact, the world is is shut down or at least uh, slowed down between now and next summer, effectively, you know, does that mean there's going to be are you trying to keep a lot of cash on the sidelines because you think there's going to be more every, and more opportunities every,
3: because certain companies won't be able to make it through? How are you thinking about all of that? Both personally and uh, professionally, every nickel you can uh, keep it in whatever bank wherever it's banked. Uh, you just I just think now is the time. I mean, look, we made a significant investment. A billion dollars in mgm during this period and uh uh this this the crisis allowed us to do what we thought was extremely money good meaning we would never lose our capital in it but because of this uh, because of this moment that uh for bad reasons uh we got the ability to invest in something like that but generally i think for any speculation uh, and I think the market is right now a great speculation, I uh, I would stay home. And, again, we've got the anvil of this election over our heads. Uh, each day from now until November is going to get more and more concerning and more and more divisive and more and more difficult. The next, I, I, I actually think if I could wake up in mid-November, maybe it's even late November given uh, what might be contested, uh, I would I would rub that magic genie. Right.
1: But Barry, let me ask you a, a, a political but business question. You know, there's there's a view out there. I don't know if it's right or wrong that uh, a Trump administration is supposedly better for business. And I know that you're a, a Biden supporter, but I, I just want, want you to speak to speak to your position and speak to the position that that has been argued uh, that that a Trump administration is better for business.
3: I think in probably, I mean, yeah, speculation. I think in the early days uh, of a Biden administration, I think there's going to be definitely a downdraft just on expectations of taxes or rising and things like that. Uh, but I don't think long term, actually, as far as business is concerned, I don't think long term there's going to be any particular difference. I think there'll be differences personally. I think people are going to pay higher taxes, particularly the wealthy. I think there are going to be things that are going to be done, really done, to deal with inequality. I think other things will happen. I do not think they are, a, let's call it, a a big damper on business. I I, look, I do think there's going to be regulation which is going to dampen business for some of the big tech companies. But I don't think beyond that, that that it will make any real difference. Again, posit ourselves again, several years into a new administration, not the first month or two, et cetera. And again, I'm being redundant. No.
1: Barry, let me ask you, because you did mention big tech. And and I know you have uh, you have been quite outspoken uh, when it comes to Google, for example, uh, in terms of uh, them competing, for example, with Expedia, as, of course, you are one of their uh, larger advertisers. Uh, there's been lots of headlines about what, uh, what what may happen. What are you expecting uh, is going to happen to the big tech companies right now?
3: I think, regardless of uh, a change in administration, I think that regulation is coming. It's it's necessary. Uh, the monopoly of Google is absolute. Uh, there, you just we spend four or five billion dollars a year, literally, in Expedia. Which we're happy to spend because it gives us customers. However, when the person you're spending it with, i.e., Google, competes with you uh, while taking your money and 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 has control of the basically of the platform, and continues uh, to squeeze so so to speak you down, I think that's going to get regulation. I think that the whole advertising part of it will get some regulation. I think with Apple, the idea of Apple charging 30% tribute simply to download an app uh, and provide relatively no service for this 30%. Whoever heard of a distributor, the only reason they do it is because they can. I think it's very unwise of Apple. Mm-hmm. Apple is a generally a company people think well of, as against se- several of the others for various reasons. I think simply to stand there, I mean, to me, it's almost as bad as Lindsey Graham, Uh, 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 and his hypocrisy of standing there and saying it's fair and proper for us to take 30 percent of every sale. And it costs consumers because you have to price it into the product. Anyway, I do think regulation is going to come anyway in the next probably year. Um, Before Uh, we let you go,
1: Airbnb, Barry, uh, likely to, to go public this year. What do you think about yeah. the prospects for Airbnb, especially in this, this COVID world?
3: Well, one thing we found at Expedia. I mean, look, travel has obviously been you know, hobbled where we we were down at the you know, worst of it, 95%. Now it's probably down about 60%, which is which is some improvement, but not good enough. The one sector that is up, both for our verbo, which is vacation rentals, and Airbnb, is alternative accommodations. As we know, the only place people are traveling to mostly is where they can drive to. And they're not going to big resorts and things like that. They are going to individual places where they feel safe. The inventory is practically gone. So that is a very good sign for Airbnb. It's a good sign for Expedia.
1: Barry Diller, uh, always one, uh, never to hold his tongue. And we appreciate uh, your your candor (laughs) and your insight and perspective on all of it, Barry. It's great to see you.
6: That's
0: the show for today. Thank you for listening on our rundown tomorrow, recapping Tesla battery day.
2: I think you're going to be blown away.
0: Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
6: We'll meet you back here tomorrow.